Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Providence Journal presents Nick and Bob, the college basketball podcast for Rhode Island and around the nation with your hosts, Kevin McNamara and Bill Koch. Hello and welcome to the Providence Journal's Pick and Pop podcast, our weekly look at the college basketball scene in both Rhode Island and a little bit around the country anyways, but we're busy in Rhode Island these days. This is Kevin McNamara at the Journal here in Providence. Uh, Bill Koch is alongside, as per usual. Bill, good to be back in Rhode Island. Kevin Mack, great to have you back in the studio. You were uh, off location last week, and we needed to perpetrate some technological wizardry. Uh, we need to thank Madeline List again for the assist on that one, uh, but it's nice to have you back in here with me. Hey, let's go see if Madeline wants to come in and break down some some hoops, you know? I'm sure, I, sure she's up on I think uh, she probably could. St. Joe's Hawks and the uh, Seton Hall Pirates, who will be coming into town this weekend. But, Wouldn't shock uh, me at all. No, no, she can, she can, she checks a few boxes, so we'll be all set. Uh, um, but yes, uh, middle of February here. Things are going uh, very well in Kingston, Rhode Island. Pretty well on the east side of Providence. Not good on Smith Hill and not good in Smithfield. That's the abridged version of where everything is for our four Division One teams. And we're going to start with the one with the best chance of dancing in March, and that would be the Rhode Island Rams. Uh, Rhodey is coming off, uh, well... Their worst defeat of the season. I uh, wouldn't say worst as in worst, but uh, their largest margin of, vict- uh, of defeat. They went to Dayton, 81-67 was the final score. Uh, Bill, that's the first time I've watched Dayton from tip to uh, the horn. I've seen them, I'd say, maybe uh, four or five other times in halves. Uh, they're ripping teams apart. I changed the channel. Uh, that one I watched, and you had better had watched uh, right off the top because... Uh, boy, Dayton was very, very impressive, and I think the NCAA tournament committee had them at a two-line. Correct. Uh, I'm not going to say that they're a candidate to be a one, but they shouldn't, even with a loss, or maybe even two losses from here in the the, the, the end of the season, I don't see them losing two games. They shouldn't slide too much lower than a two. They, they, they have a wagon. They're the most complete team I've seen. Um, they have the best player I've seen. Uh, there's no question. And, you know, I say that having watched Butler in person at Providence and having watched Maryland uh, when you or I went down there in November. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, none of that is any disrespect to Stick Smith or to Kamar Baldwin or to the Terrapins or the Bulldogs. I don't want anyone to take it that way. But Dayton is just a puzzle with perfect pieces that fit together. Uh, great guard play from Jalen Crutcher the other night. And Obi Toppin, obviously, is sensational. Uh, you know, he, it almost seemed like he ghosted in and out of that game. I, I know you and I were texting back and forth a little bit during it, and you said get him at the ball. one point, get Obi the ball. He needs more shots. Yeah. When you look at the final box score, he ends up with 22 points and 10 rebounds. He, and he only took nine shots. And, and it's just, you know, 
he is the face of how efficient they are on offense. The number two offense in the country, trailing only Gonzaga, and you saw it right at the start of the game. They hit the first seven shots. They had a 17 nothing lead. The roof was about to come off UD Arena. Uh, it really just snowed on URI from the start, and you get down to a team like that who's that talented who probably heard in the pregame once or twice that they had lost three out of the last four at home to the Rams, mm-hmm. uh, who was motivated to make it a two-game lead in the loss column atop the A-10 standings. Uh, there was no way back for the Rams in that one. No. you know, you, you know, Dave Cox has to spin it because that's what coaches do, and they did play them pretty much evenly from the 17-0 hole on, but, you know, that's sports. You, you don't really go for that. I, the, the other team isn't trying necessarily to win by 30. They're more than happy to to play with a 17 to 23 point lead the rest of the way and uh, Rhode Island you know to their credit did keep battling and, and it was funny people said geez well Rhode Island's you know both teams are really chippy this this is the thought process and Bill see if you agree with me you're down 17 to nothing you're getting your rear end kicked in from all sides mm. you have to play this team again in three weeks mm-hmm. at your place and hopefully you have to play them potentially again in your conference tournament the last thing you want is to show that you just turtle and say, wow, you're really good, and you walk the other way. You have to fight back. And Rhode Island did fight back, uh, four technicals uh, fighting back, uh, four on the other side, three on the other side. Three on the other side, so, seven total. Yeah, yeah. James Breeding, Tony Chiazza, and Tim Clarkety. We, we knew their names by the end of the game, and that's what you is not supposed to happen, right? The refs are supposed to uh, work in anonymity. Yeah. Didn't quite happen. But um, a little bit more on Dayton. Everyone, you know, if you didn't see Obi, uh, you knew of him pregame, but you know him now. Uh, the guy who impressed me was Landers. He, he had 14 rebounds. He's. Uh, you'd have to go back and remind me what the name of the guys who, who, who kicked Providence rear end in the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago, those 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six guys who are just really tough very skilled, and they they get into you, they rebound, they defend. Uh, those are the kind of guys that Dayton always seems to have. Um, and, and, you know, Landers, Crutcher, and Toppin are all really good players. Yeah, you're thinking of the Kendall Pollard, Jordan Seibert crew there, Scoochie Smith, yep. Uh, yep. point guard at the time. You're right, Landers is the type of guy, and I, I tweeted this you know late in the game, I'd rather have a guy like Trey Landers, who's going to do all the dirty work stuff, give you 12 points and seven rebounds and a block a game and a couple steals a game. I'd rather name him third team All Atlantic 10 than you know a guy who scores 19 points a game for a team that loses a lot. Um, I'd much rather have a guy who contributes to a winner than a volume scorer on a team that goes three and 15. Um, now, 19 points is an arbitrary number. It just sounded like a number that. Sure. Uh, you know, players would score. And a lot of URI fans jumped on me on Twitter thinking that it was a dig somehow at Fats Russell, who ah. coincidentally ended up with 19 points in the game. Yeah. Newsflash, Fats Russell's going to be first team all league, okay? Yeah. yeah. So it, it wasn't that at all. It was completely misinterpreted. Um, but Landers is the type of guy who, who you need on great teams behind your superstars, like Toppin, uh, like Crutcher, who I think is probably a first team all A10 guy. Uh, when it's all said and done, especially if these guys run the table, you know, demand that you're going to have two guys on there. Two guys, no question. Um, you know, but Dayton just—they came out. They were so efficient on offense from the start, uh, and realistically, you know, they finished five for nineteen from three. That's one for their last fifteen. 
uh, if they had shot the ball even at their average, they win this game by 20, 25 points going away. Uh, they had a 25-point lead with seven and a half to go. But you look at Rhodey, and, and you know David Cox is, is right to try to spin this forward because there are a few things going on here in terms of you still need to win some games here down the stretch to solidify yourselves in the NCAA tournament picture. And you do have a rematch with Dayton coming up in March, which is a huge chance, the last Quadrant 1 game on your schedule before you go to Brooklyn uh, for the conference tournament. Uh, and you need to get it in your own guys' heads that we do have a chance against these guys in the rematch. We do need to come out and play with some confidence and give ourselves a chance to legitimately win that game. No, if I was the team psychologist, I'd say... Okay, you know, you have to go to Dayton at some point in the year. This wasn't a bad time to do it. You know, we went out there, we shot, you know, 17 to nothing, we shot 28% from the field. They're better than us. They might be way better than us. But we do have one more chance at them, and my guess is the Bryant Center might be sold out that night. I would, I would think so. I think it'll senior be, night. I think it'll be the toughest ticket in a long time. Well, senior night. The toughest non Providence ticket in a long time. Or it certainly should be senior night, national player of the year in the building. Uh, yeah, that that'll be. I was being the, facetious. That that will be a tough ticket. The, the major drawback is it's a Wednesday at nine o'clock. That's okay. We'll keep the lights on for you. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, I, I don't think they'll have a problem with that one. But um, it's only mid February. You know, during that game, how many times did you hear? Well, Rhode Island's in the tournament. Rhode Island's in the NCAA tournament. Rhode Island's in the NCAA tournament. Well, no, they're not. Okay, it's only there's not too many teams around the country who are quote already in the NCAA tournament. It's February fifteenth, and everyone has five, six, seven games left. Anything can happen. So, Bill, what does Rhode Island have to do to not get in the tournament? Fall off the uh, bubble. This is their schedule. They play St. Joseph's, who's winless in the A10 Saturday tomorrow at the Ryan Center. I think they're going to win. Can't lose. Uh, then they have a bye. A very, uh, again, perfect timing for a bye uh, to regroup for the home stretch. Then they go at Davidson, at Fordham, home St. Louis, home Dayton, at Massachusetts. So just we'll, we'll take tomorrow. I know it's going to take them one at a time, but we'll take tomorrow out of the conversation. Can't lose. And uh, at Davidson, is that's a difficult game. That's one that if you're the committee, you might forgive a loss there. Uh, you know, that's one of those games that, you know, Davidson is going to be a top 100-ish type opponent. It's going to be a Quadrant 2 opponent on the road. Um, you know, a, a team that traditionally has given your eyes some trouble with their offensive system. Um, you know, and a team that was shorthanded when they came to Kingston earlier this year. Rody bogged them down in a 69-58 win. Uh, key against Davidson, as always, run them off the three-point line. If, if you can do that, then you'll be reasonably successful. Who, who's back for them? Who wasn't playing earlier? Uh, Hun Jung Lee, the freshman, uh, okay, should yep. be an all-A-10 freshman team guy, had an upper body injury at the time. Uh, the rumor was behind the scenes that it might have been a concussion mm-hmm. uh, and that he was you know, out for a couple games. Uh, can really shoot it uh, right around 40% from three. Um, you know, Davidson's still dangerous with John Axel Goodmanson and Kellen Grady. Right. Um, you know, still a, a very capable team, one that is certainly capable of beating URI at home. Then they go to Fordham. Can't lose the game. Got to win it. Uh, and then I, I think probably the, I wouldn't say the most important game, but probably more important than Dayton. I, I think the St. Louis game at home is just a monster. St. Louis is going to come in 50s and 60s maybe in the net, something like that. Hmm. Um, you know, so it's certainly a quality win, but it just shows you. And St. Louis... 
is the only team in the A-10 that's really played Dayton. I shouldn't say only team, but they've played them really close. They took them to overtime. That's right. Played them, played them tough. Uh, you know, played them tough at Dayton the other night um, as well. Lost mm-hmm. 71-65. Yeah. Uh, took them to overtime at home. Lost 78-76. Uh, you know, just you've seen St. Louis big, physical, physical. strong, tough. play yeah. hard defense. Uh, right now they're 75 in the net. Um, you know, so not necessarily a team that is going to be in contention for an NCAA bid un- unless you know they win it all in Brooklyn. But mm-hmm. they have two of the ten best players in the league, fifteen best players in the league: Jordan Goodwin and Hassan French. You know, both of those guys have been in battles mm-hmm. uh, throughout their careers. Both very capable players. Hard game, no, uh, no question. Then obviously Dayton. We, we, we you know that goes without saying. You beat Dayton, you're in the tournament. Uh, and then Ma- at Massachusetts. Can't you know, lose it. Senior day out there, if that means anything, I'm not quite sure if it does. The Minutemen season will be basically over by then. Well, you had a you had a chippy ending to the game at home here, yes, you did. 73-67, where you had some post game words exchanged. So UMass is going to be ginned up for that one for sure. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, back to my question: What does Rhode Island have to do to fall off the bubble? Because I, I see them right now as in the tournament, but with not a comfortable seed. Uh, maybe at best a nine. Uh, I've seen them anywhere from nine, ten, and eleven, which is I think pretty fair right now. Well, St. Joe's, Fordham, and UMass are, are the three games that they must win. Yeah. Uh, you know, barring a victory over Dayton, another quadrant one win, which would balance one of those off. You can't lose one of those three games. You, Agreed. You just can't. You already have that bad loss on your schedule to Brown in terms of the metrics. You're not going to be able to get away with two of them. Um, and you need to win one of the two against Davidson or against St. Louis. Uh, you know, if you win them both, you're feeling pretty good about yourselves. Five and one puts you into the tournament, I think, regardless of what you do in Brooklyn. So my question is, what if you go two and three, uh, lose at Davidson, lose to St. Louis and Dayton? I, I think I would be very nervous. You can't lose all three of those games. I'd be very nervous on Selection Sunday. I know that the, the record would be great. They'd, I think, be 13-5. and five. Uh, Yeah, they have two losses now, correct? Correct. 10-2. So to be 13-5, you'd think, oh, 13-5, no problem. Well, um, you know, 13-5, you'd have basically, hopefully, three. No, you'd have uh, either two or zero wins against teams in the field. Because VCU right now in, in – a lot of projections is not in the tournament. Those are your two best wins. It, it is just there, there would be reasons for the committee to say they just haven't done enough uh, if they lose those three games: Davidson, St. Louis, and Dayton. Which is just that, that's not out of the realm of possibility. Those are hard games. No, you can't go three and three down the stretch. That that would put yourselves in peril. You'd have a lot of work to do in Brooklyn, in my mind, if you do that. Um, but, you know, one at a time, St. Joe's tomorrow. Uh, there was just some uh, really, uh, I think, really fortunate, exciting news for the Rams yesterday, broke yesterday morning. Uh, was it the Naismith Award? The Naismith yeah. Trophy, yes, sir. Na- Naismith Trophy. Um, they came out They come out with th- th- this three or four college player of the year awards. The Oscar Robertson uh, Award is the other one that, that uh, uh, is top of mind. But the Naismith Award is, is presented by the Tip-Off Club of uh, Atlanta. And what they do is they they probably have 50 uh, players to watch at the beginning of the season. They cut it down to 30 in mid-February, and then we'll do finalists and then and then name their guy at the Final Four. And our very own Duran Fats-Russell made the uh, top 30. And I, I saw the, 
uh, you know, you were down at Kingston yesterday, and you could tell he, he was as surprised and happy as anybody else. You know, and I don't know why he should be, because he has been sensational. Uh, it's one of the rare times that you would see Fats humbled, yeah. <laughs> generally. Uh, you know, his confidence is, is usually out of the gym, and I mean that in the best way possible. Um, he's a wonderful kid and, and you know, was, was obviously very proud of, of what he's done this year. And, and he should be, Kevin, because sure. if, if you look at what he's done uh, to turn his game around from last season, the improvements that he's made really across the board in every category, um, he's been wonderful. Uh, you know, really just the the leader, the sort of alpha that they really needed uh, to, to play themselves into NCAA tournament contention. Um, the fearlessness and, and the joy with which he plays, uh, it's infectious. If if you watch him play live, whether it's at the Ryan Center or, or even on the road, you, you can't help but just watch him uh, at times during games. You're, you're just watching him, whether it's on defense or when he has the ball in his hands. He, he has that sort of magnetic style that that draws your eye to him i agree uh, it's it's you can't see him play and not uh notice his speed his speed is, and quickness is truly nba level uh there's not many guys who can move around with his quickness and when he turns it up a notch with the ball uh he gets to where he needs to go which is uh under control uh, and, and that's really the mark you know think about dayton you know we were praising dayton and, and the outstanding defensive job they did uh against rhode island and, and yet uh, Fats plays uh, 31 minutes. He has no turnovers. Uh, obviously, he didn't shoot as well as he wants to. He was 7 of 18. Most of his points came in the second half. But Dayton's putting pressure on you. And to not turn the ball over once, uh, again, in 31 minutes, uh, it just shows uh, that's just a market improvement over last year. And I know you've written about that extensively. He's really changed his game around in the last summer. And that's hats off to uh, to Fats. So, um Okay. Now we go into the uh, the other side of the uh, Rhode Island basketball scene, and we'll get into the Providence Friars a little bit. Uh, when last we spoke, the Friars were very hopeful. Uh, Friar fans were all but giddy with the uh, possibility of a late-season rush to the NCAA tournament. And then the Friars go out and uh, can't score down the stretch uh, at Xavier, and we've seen that uh, you know too many times this season. Mm. Um, uh, Friars come up with only 58 points in a 64-58 loss in Cincinnati. And then um, they make it two losses in a row with one of their worst performances of the season at St. John's, 80-69. I did some crack research today for the negative stat. Uh, I'm pretty good at that, Bill. I just, I get it. You know, it is what it is. You're just a terrible guy, Kevin. We all know it. So 24 turnovers by the Friars, mm. are the most in the Ed Cooley era. Mm. Uh, they had 23 in a game in 2013. Uh, that was a home loss to DePaul. Well, this is what happens when you turn the ball over 23 and 24 times. You lose a home to DePaul, or you go to St. John's, and you lose uh, by 11. Um, uh, St. John's, you know, it's just strangely enough, if Providence would have won that game uh, at Conestoga Arena the other night, that would have been a quad one win. Right, that's right. <laughs> so St. John's doesn't stink. You know, this is a, a team, uh, you know, that beat West Virginia and Arizona in the non-conference. Uh, they've really struggled in the league. Uh, only two wins coming into that game, both against DePaul, but you know they play a unique style that probably emphasizes one thing: you need to be able to handle the ball well under pressure and execute your offense. 
and the Friars didn't do that in any way, shape, or form. Again, with the 24 turnovers, the 41% shooting, 27% from the three-point line. Uh, not sure how much you saw of it, Bill, but uh, it was ugly. No, it, it was pretty obvious from the first half that the game was going to be all about pace and tempo and St. John's forced theirs on Providence, and, and the Friars never really going to handle on the game. 76 possessions in the game, which is the most Providence has played in a Big East game this season uh, in 40 minutes. Um, and that's what Mike Anderson wants to do. That's what he's done throughout his career, whether it's at Missouri, at Arkansas, uh, wants to pressure you, defend hard, and and force you into mistakes, and you know, Providence just played right into their hands. Uh, you know, you you just gave St. John's, who's not a good offensive team, who's missing Mustafa Heron, who's you know arguably their best player. You gave them the offense that they weren't going to be able to generate in in any sort of half court set with points off turnovers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and just Providence again. It's just we've talked about it all season. It's just so disappointing to see the talent on this team just not be able to come together to see the guard play be so substandard um, you know considering the the lineage that Ed Cooley has had at the point guard position and in the backcourt uh, at that program uh, it, it, it's just it was another night where you know they went out they sort of looked you know uninspired on offense in the first half and they weren't going to be able to get it back in the second half. I know you said they, they cut it down to four at one point, right? but I never really got the feeling that, that Providence was going to get over the hump and win that game. Well, you just knew that they'd shoot themselves in the foot. And uh, the three primary ball handlers, uh, Luan Pipkins, David Duke, Malik White, combined for 15 turnovers by themselves, three players. You can't win that way. No. And, you know, I, I'll give Ed Cooley some credit here. He's been able to mask that issue with his team all season long uh, and had them, you know, quote, in position uh, to at least make a decent run. But I think that door has now shut. Uh, you, uh, no question. You know, they have six games left. They only have six Big East wins. You know, if you want to sign up for a 6-0, and 5-1 and run the rest of the way, okay, then I'm full of it. I'm not ready to do that. Uh, and no. the reason is... The Big East. It is what it is. They'd love to play a bad team tomorrow and then play another bad team on Wednesday and then see what happens against you know Villanova down the line. But they have the number 10 team in the country coming in on, uh, tomorrow at the Dunkin' Donuts Center tomorrow night, 8 o'clock. Sold out, Seton Hall. Uh, coming off a loss. Coming off a loss where they gave up 87? 87 to Creighton. I think Seton Hall will realize the importance of this game you think kevin willard has been in their ear the last couple days of practice about how giving up 87 points is unacceptable they'll be ready they'll be ready and uh, the rest of the way you know we'll see what the nets are you know by the time they get to depaul in the last game of the season but every team in the league is i think it's 67 or below uh th- there's no off nights and providence could use a breather and a couple of gimme wins right now and there's no such thing instead they have to win basically every game it, so you know it is what it is for me the real shame of the other night was you know they wasted a great performance by alpha diallo who, mm. who played as well in that game as i can remember him playing uh in a bit here 19 points 17 rebounds uh you know only two turnovers in 38 minutes i i thought he was a monster in that game i thought he played exactly the way he needed to play throughout most of the season for Providence to be good. That undersized four, who's a serious matchup problem, who sticks his nose in there in the paint. He didn't attempt a three-pointer the other night. Well, I'm going to stop you right there. That that 
jumps out at me. So the question is, and I didn't have a chance. Alpha was not available after the game. No, none of the players were after that loss. Um, I'd love to know why. Was it just that's the way the game unfolded? Was it a sit down with the coach? Was it, boy, I'm shooting twenty. 20- 4% from the three-point line. I probably shouldn't shoot those anymore. A homecoming to New York, perhaps. Well, but, you know, hey, homecoming in New York, I'm going to play hard. I'm going to get 17 rebounds, but I'd love to flash my three-point shooting game, which isn't very good. Um, you know, he came into the game. Well, let me flip through my trusty stats here. Um, a- a- anyways, if Fryer fans said, boy, that's the way Alpha should play, he came in shooting 25% from the three-point line. Right. So he probably shouldn't shoot three-pointers. And he didn't, and got an awful lot done, like you said, with, uh, it was funny, I was sitting next to someone from St. John's, they said, geez, when was the last time Providence had a guy who had a 20-20 and 20 game? Mm. I said, that's out of my department, that's out of my league. It's got to be uh, like Ryan Gomes level, something like that, right? 20 rebounds is a lot of rebounds. I don't, uh, would, would Michael Smith have scored enough points to go with 20 rebounds? Because it feels like he could have got 20 rebounds. Yeah, he definitely had, he had a 20 plus, I remember against Syracuse way back, how many points he got in that game. He, Michael was a, a layup maker. Uh, so 10 layups is always possible. Uh, no question. A lot of offensive uh, boards. Who's going to get in his way at the rim? Yeah. I mean, really. Um, Diallo had eight offensive rebounds in that game. That's pretty impressive. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. I'm writing my advance for tomorrow, uh, Bill. And uh, what do you do if you're Ed Cooley? From, uh, how do you approach, you know, the daily grind from here on in? I mean, obviously, you try to win every game, but it's all about motivation and uh, mental gymnastics this time of year for good teams. Forget about, you know, like we just said, I'm sure Kevin Willard uh, went after his team pretty hard after giving up 87. What do you do if you're Ed Cooley? There's no easy answers. I mean, that's why he makes the big bucks, right? Yeah. And, and that's why we're sitting here, because I have absolutely no idea. None. I, I He's tried different lineups. They've tried to play different styles. Uh, they've tried shooting a lot of threes, not shooting many threes. Uh, he's played big lineups, small lineups, mm. different guard combinations, different front court combinations. And you just go back to what Bill Parcells used to say. You are what your record says you are. Yeah. They're an average team. Mm-hmm. They're right around 500 overall. They're right around 500 in the Big East. What do they still do particularly well? You're, you're a St. John's advance, I thought, asked a really good question. Providence still searching for their identity mm-hmm. 24 games into the season, still searching for what their strengths are, you know, what they're elite at. Doesn't really have anything. Defensively, they've been quite good. Yeah, yeah. Their effort has been excellent at that end of the floor. It's been pretty consistent. Um, but when you're turning the ball over on offense like they did the other night, you're going to give up 80 points. It doesn't. You know, you're you're left defenseless. I guess you could say. And I think if you're from a player's point of view, uh, you know, it's been really two years of the same kind of look. You know, uh, you play really hard. You know, every single coach in the Big East says, "Boy, the Province is a tough team to play against." Blah blah blah. But offensively, you just it, it's it's just difficult. It's discouraging. Two years in a row where. To get to 65, 70 points is hard, really hard. Um, you know, with the less than five, maybe six, seven exceptions throughout the season, you know, people say, well, why can't they just, you know, play like they did against Creighton? 
Well, that's an outlier. You know, they had 12 threes, whatever it was. I mean, A.J. Reeves had six all by himself. Look at the numbers. That's not who they are. Right. Uh, that's an outlier. So uh, we'll see what the Friars can pull off from now to the end of the season. Uh, they have a busy week with Seton Hall uh, again at home. They go to Georgetown and then host uh, Marcus Howard and Marquette next uh, Saturday. So uh, it is what it is. A mm. uh, little bit on Brown and Bryant. Uh, Brown, uh, after really one of the most exciting games I've seen in a long time, last Saturday. I was going to say, you caught a classic yeah, there. Yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was something. A uh, last-second, truly last-second win by Brown over Harvard when Tamanang Cho made a driving layup, excuse me, and then a uh, free throw with no, basically no time on the clock for a, a one-point win. How about Harvard? One-point loss, I believe at Princeton, uh, then a one-point win at Yale, and then a one-point loss at Brown. Three one-point decisions in a row for Tommy Amaker. And the game before that was an overtime loss at Penn by three. Oof. So, get the the heart attack. He needs a break this weekend. I I think they might go to upstate New York. Maybe they have... uh, Cornell at home, Columbia at home. They need need those games bad. Yeah, Yeah. big time. Um, But Brown has uh, always the toughest road trip of the year at uh, Princeton and Penn this weekend. Uh, two huge games. If they could come back with a split, I, I think they'd be absolutely thrilled. Uh, those are the two teams that I expect them to have to compete against for the uh, for the third and fourth spot in the Ivy League. So big games. Well, what about Brown, though? You know, sweeping two home weekends in a row, winning four straight, doing exactly what they needed to do after losing two in a row to Yale. Mm. Um, Brown, as we sit here right now, controlling their own destiny for the Ivy League tournament. You, you couldn't ask for much more after six games if you're Mike Martin. Uh, you know, and the game against Dartmouth w- was one that they really couldn't lose. Uh, mm. You know, Dartmouth, not a good team. And they were in a tough spot they, down they the stretch. They were in a really tough spot. Uh, you know, and honestly, I think that was kind of a tough game to play considering you have Harvard the next night. You're probably looking thinking, oh, Dartmouth's not very good and Harvard's right there. And, right. You know, let's bring them in. Um, you managed to gut that one out. And then the Harvard game. I, I mean, just sensational the way that game finished uh you know there there were some bizarre plays down the stretch uh you know a couple odd calls down the stretch i, I guess you could say uh you know a couple conferences that lasted longer than yeah. uh, than plays on the floor yeah. i was late for my date uh, yeah, i yeah. can imagine yeah. um you know but what you did see at the end was, was brown getting the ball to one of its best players tam and Angcho, in space they drew up a great play. Mike Martin did a great job getting him the ball in a spot where he could attack the rim. Did so. And you know, in that spot, if you're going to have a successful season, you need your best players to come up with the goods. And he did exactly that. He did. Um, and then uh, Bryant uh, lost at home. Uh, i trying to think last night. you got to help me out, Bill. They were at Sacred Heart. At Sacred Heart, yep. Uh, uh, Another loss, uh, competitive loss. They're losing an awful lot of games uh, by, you know, eight, ten points. Uh, in the mix, it just shows that that's exactly what a young team usually does. They, they've got eight losses in the NEC, and five of them are by single digits. Uh, you know, and if, if you talk to coaches, uh, I, I think they'll talk about, you know, building a program, building a culture, whatever else. The next step that they talk about is almost harder than that, and it's where you actually break through. 
and you actually find a way to win close games and, and end up on the right side of 500 and, you know, maybe beat a good team here or there on the road. Uh, you know, that's a, a major step to take in terms of growth, in terms of progression. Uh, you know, Bryant was able to do that and it's non-conference schedule. In the NEC, they've struggled uh, a little bit more. Uh, they're at Central Connecticut on Saturday, uh, uh, one of the worst teams in college basketball, uh, you know, but a team that played Bryant tough in Smithfield uh, last Saturday. Bryant only won that game by four, mm. uh, you know, so I would not be taking the Blue Devils for granted. Uh, you know, Bryant needs to take care of that one, come back home and, and face, uh, you know, one of the treats in the league Tuesday night, one of the treats nationally we've talked about. Merrimack is coming oh, to town. I like that. Yeah, uh, and Merrimack is still holding steady. Uh, it's uh, atop the uh, NEC. It's it's one of the great stories. They're in their first year of Division One uh, college basketball, and uh, they're in good shape, right? Yeah, they're they're tied with Robert Morris atop the league, and uh, you know, just speaking for myself, I won't do so for you. I want Robert Morris to go away. Let, let's have Merrimack go ahead and win the league. And, well, hopefully they do they play them again. Uh, let's see. Just take them down. Have a little, have a little anarchy we'll, we'll here. By themselves. Uh, nope, they've already played them twice. They split with them actually. Yeah. Uh, lost to them at home and beat them on the road. So, you know, typical Merrimack. Uh, sure. You know, inexplicable results. Pretty much is is what we're looking at. That is it. Hope everyone enjoyed the Pick and Pop podcast. We'll be back next week with yet another version. Thank you. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.